Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a lot just because I want, uh, we won't go back to a lot of it, so I want to make sure the story is heard um, as we go through this. We're going to begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling or staying in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear them each in our own language in which we were born? For you see, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others laughed at them and said, they're full of new wine or they're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said unto them, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And here you go. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to take our text this morning from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Our subject this morning will be, this is no ordinary day. This is no ordinary day. Look at your neighbor and tell him, this is no ordinary day. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We lift you high. We glorify you. We always put you first. God, we pray that today we feel you, but we ask that your spirit do a work in this building today. God, just like you did those many years ago in Acts chapter 2, God, pour out your spirit among your people. God, not just in this sanctuary, but in sanctuaries all across America today, pour out your spirit. God, in homes all across America, pour out your spirit. In schoolhouses all across America, pour out your spirit. In the White House, pour out your spirit. In the Senate House, pour out your spirit. In Congress, pour out your spirit. At the workplace, pour out your spirit. At my home, God, pour out your spirit. God, right now we know this is no ordinary day. This is Pentecost Sunday. God, we don't take it lightly. But God, we place our faith, our expectation, our anticipation on you. We lean in and we ask you to have your way. God, if you take over the service, we yield. If we're supposed to go with the agenda, we yield. But God, we ask you to have your way. God, let somebody be baptized in the Holy Ghost today. You said when we're baptized that, we, that power would come into our lives. So we ask for that power to come in this room this morning. God, if somebody came in here dealing with the spirit, we rebuke it. If somebody came in here dealing with depression, we speak light and happiness and joy into their life. If somebody came in sick, heal them. But God, do a thing in this place today. So we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can you do me a favor and put your hands together one more time and lift up a shout of praise? One of them good ones. Somebody shout hallelujah. Find somebody near you. Tell them this is no ordinary day. And then you may be seated. It was a Friday. I remember it was a day, Friday like any other day. I, I remember waking up in the morning and it was already hot. In Texas, summer starts in April, sometimes January. And this particular morning, it was June. So the heat was already hitting the day. And as I was getting up and getting my wits about me, it occurred to me that that day was going to be a very special day. It was graduation day. It was 1996. Graduation day. I had done it. I had finished high school. It wasn't graduation day at college because I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so I went throughout my day um, and prepared for the ceremony that night. I, I couldn't help but reflect 
on the whole year. But more than that, I, I started reflecting on elementary school. I went to elementary school at Comac Road Elementary School in Long Island, New York. And as I'm graduating, I'm realizing that I'm graduating from a small school in Texas. How did you get to Texas from New York? And thinking about that journey and all that transpired, all the good decisions, all the bad decisions, all the experiences in between and how it had brought me to this point. And somehow all of those seemed to contribute to the good place I was in. I went to high school in a small town outside of San Antonio, Texas. The town's called Castroville. Wasn't very big then. It's a little bigger now, but it wasn't very big then. And uh, man, I, I loved my friends. I loved the, the small town. I loved it. But I had gotten myself in an environment that wasn't really healthy. So the last semester of my senior year, I left the high school I went to my entire high school time and went to this little small private school there in the southeast or the, the west side of San Antonio. There was only eight seniors in that little private school. The only benefit of going to that was that my dad was coaching there, and so it was just cool to be with my dad. But somehow, through just favor, I guess, or divine plan or providence, whatever you want to call it, I was able to influence these people to let Pastor Rick be the keynote speaker of the graduation. Most of these seniors had been in that school since they were little kids. I had only been there one semester, and I somehow was able to do that. I'm glad I did. And as the ceremony, but as the ceremony got going that evening, I, I just remember this overwhelming sense of gratitude and pride for where God had brought me to in that moment, that I had escaped this one environment, entered a better one, more than a better one, I had just gotten out of the other one. But as Pastor Rick preached, he preached on pressing on. We press on, and we, we reach towards that prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. And he was telling us that the race wasn't over. As a matter of fact, it was just getting started. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we would reach that prize one day. Then our principal got up. He addressed us. Our parents came up and they prayed for us. We walked the stage with pride and received our diplomas. And then we went and celebrated together. And as we did, we hugged each other's necks. We took photos. You guys know how that day went. You guys have all experienced it. Some of you experienced it with your children just recently. But it was a bittersweet moment because we knew our paths would change and we would all go our separate ways. It was a special day. Why did I tell you all that? Because it wasn't just what I would learn later on in life is that it became a memorial day for me in more than one way. Two years later, I would start my journey of full-time ministry to the day. Five years later, I would, meet my, I would marry, not meet, I would marry my wife. And so Thursday... I celebrate 25 years of full-time ministry and 22 years of marriage. I didn't say all that so you'd clap or any other reason than to just say 
Some days stand out from the rest. Some days stand out for the rest. Sometimes those days become a surprise and we discover that they're important in our life. Others, like tomorrow being Memorial Day, we prepare for it. We know it's coming every year. And we prepare to celebrate that day. My prayer is today that today would mark one of those days in your life. That it would be more than just a religious ceremonial holiday. More than that, that something would happen in your life that would take you to the next place. That the realization of what Pentecost really is would begin to gain priority with you. That as a believer that you would walk out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just go through your life in a mundane way. Because we all need to know this. That Pentecost, it is no ordinary day. It is no ordinary day. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, fully come. Let's talk about Pentecost for a minute. I don't want to assume that everybody in here understands what Pentecost is. I don't want to assume that you've come up knowing that. I was raised Baptist as a kid, and, and so when I became a teenager and entered into the charismatic, full gospel, Pentecostal world, whatever you want to call it, I learned what Pentecost was. Conservative Baptists don't talk about Pentecost, but Pentecostals always talk about Pentecost. <laughs> they're demonstrative, they're loud. Crazy. It's all good. It's all good. So I don't want to assume that everybody knows what that is. And I don't want to assume that you have a clear understanding of what Pentecost is. It's important that the scripture says that the day of Pentecost had fully come because what it's telling you is that it was exactly Pentecost day. It was exactly that day. What is Pentecost? Believe it or not, Pentecost is known, well, not believe it or not, Pentecost is known for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it being the beginning of the Christian church. Amen? Amen. That's not where it started, however. It did not start there. Pentecost was a celebration that commemorated God's deliverance of his people. Pentecost is, Pentecost means 50th, 50th. It means 50th. Why? Because Pentecost represents the day that Moses came off Mount Sinai with the law or the Torah. It was exactly 50 days after the Passover. The Passover happened. This is where they slaughtered the lamb, smeared the blood, and, and then the death angel came into Egypt. And they were delivered as a result of the Passover. 50 days later, Moses sees God. He goes up. He ascends. He sees God. He brings down the law. And this is called Pentecost. Later on down the line, it would become a celebration for the people of God. They called it the Feast of Weeks. Some called it the Feast of Harvest. The reason they called it the Feast of Weeks is because it was seven weeks. Seven weeks. Seven weeks after the Passover is 49 days. So on the 50th, that's Pentecost. And that's the celebration. And so what would happen is the reason they call it the, 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 the celebration of the harvest or the feast of the harvest is because everybody would come to the house, to God's house. 
And they would all, because it was the beginning or the ending of the harvest, the end of the wheat harvest, beginning of the next, and they would all come together with their first fruits. And they would offer unto God an offering of thanksgiving, saying, thank you for delivering us. Thank you for blessing us. And thank you for guiding us. So all the people would come together on this day, and they would celebrate, and they would celebrate. Um, and so, but now, I think the writer, being past this particular celebration, because he was there, you know, we, many believe it was Luke who wrote the book of Acts, and so he's writing, and he's delivering this, and, and I think as he writes it this time, he has a little bit more of, a, of an excitement in what he's writing. And he says it fully came because there was a revelation that he had that, that the reader didn't have yet. And there was a revelation that he had that maybe even the people of God had not received yet. Because a new Passover lamb had been sacrificed, Jesus Christ. And when he was sacrificed and his blood was shed, this new Pentecost, this was the first Pentecost from that moment. So he knew it would be a special day. And he thought it important to describe to us that it was fully come. This day was fully come. There was a whole new meaning to it. So let's set the stage. Let's set the stage. Jesus was gone again. All the disciples are gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. Can you imagine what they're feeling? Their champion is gone. In the last 50 days, they've experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows they've ever experienced. Just three years ago, they, they were fishing. They had a good life, at least according to them. Some of them were tax collectors, so they had a really good life. But regardless, three years ago, they had no idea that they would be in the place that they're in. And so in this moment, they've walked with Jesus. They changed their whole life for Jesus. They threw down nets. They quit their job. And they decided to follow this guy that actually most of the people, the religious people, didn't like. And maybe that's what they liked about him. Because the religious people were hard on them. So maybe he, they liked him. But now he died on a cross. They had to go through three days of extreme depression and disappointment because they had given up everything to follow him. And all they had was a word that he was going to get up in three days. And most of them didn't even believe that was going to happen. So they lost Jesus. When, when the, Mary and, and the ladies went to the grave, they weren't going to see an empty grave. They were going to dress the body. To do what they had to do. That doesn't show a lot of faith. And so they already went through this loss of Jesus. And then he shows back up. Praise God. He resurrected. He's back. He's going to bring the kingdom of God with him. And we're going to be out from under this Roman oppression. And we can see the kingdom of God established. But it doesn't happen. Forty days later, he tells them, I'm out. I'm out. I'm leaving it with you. 
they're in a place of transition. They're in a place of change. It's funny how loss and adversity can bring us to a place of transition. It's funny how loss and adversity can bring us to a place of change. And that's where they are. They're in this place of transition. I, I can see the people of Israel walking the desert. They had their own Pentecost. They made some bad choices, and because of it, there was a delay, 40 years. And they're approaching the River Jordan. They're in the place of transition, and God speaks to Joshua, and he tells them, be strong and courageous because you're about to walk into a promise. And I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be with you. It's a picture in the Old Testament of what's happening in the New Testament. The people of God there were walking into a promised land. The people here were about to experience God's promised people and God's promised presence. They're in transition. Are you with me? Are you with me? They were just being obedient. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do. That's it. They were just being obedient. Jesus commanded them in Acts chapter 1 not to leave Jerusalem until my, until my father sends the promise to you. Do not leave until my father sends the promise to you. Just do it because you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. Don't move. Don't get in a hurry. Too many people get in a hurry and get out into something that they are called to do. It just wasn't time for them to do it. Amen. They didn't move until after that the Holy Ghost had come on them. More importantly, they were obedient. They were obedient. They were obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Too many want to give their way into their next promise. But you're not willing to walk your way into it. They were obedient. They waited. They waited. They waited. They waited. They didn't have anything. Like I said, they walked away from their jobs. The Romans were after them. The, 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 the church, the temple, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were after them. They didn't want this message of Jesus to be broadcast. They wanted it over. They wanted that death to be the end of it. They wanted to retain power. So this is the only threat they have. So their lives, which were normal, absolutely normal, they gave everything up for it. And now they're sitting around in an upper room in the book of Acts. And Jesus is gone. And all they have to stand on is a word from Jesus. All they have to stand on is a word from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. And being assembled together with them, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's something they knew they could count on was his word. Something they knew that they could count on was his word. John knew it. John knew he could count on his word, and he was amongst them. Why do we know that? Because that's how he opens the book of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and everything that was made was made by him, and that word was the light of men, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
That's the word. He doesn't just speak it. He is the habitation incarnation of word in flesh on earth. I got to live and see it. John knew he could count on the word. John knew he could count on the word. And, and Paul knew it. Paul knew he could count on the world. Why? Because he tells us that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Not only do we know that Paul knew it, but his epistles end up making two-thirds of the New Testament, which is the word of God. The prophets knew it because they say, Isaiah, if he sends his word, it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. The prophets knew, David knew it. He said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word just doesn't give me a picture of my future and where I'm going, but it's something I can hold in my hand and I can direct that light anywhere I need to in order to get where I'm going or find what I'm looking for. It's your word. It's your word. They knew they could count on his word. The centurion knew it. He came because his daughter was dying. His daughter was dying. This is a Roman. This is not a Jew. This is not a Christian. This is a Roman that just saw somebody with authority, saw somebody whose God was on him, and he said, I need to get to him because my daughter is dying. This is the last chance I have. Wouldn't you want Jesus to go into where your daughter is? And he doesn't say that. He says, send your word. I'm a man under authority, so I know when somebody with authority speaks a word, stuff has to happen. So if you just speak the word of healing, my daughter will be healed. And Jesus looks at him and said, there is not such great faith in all of Israel. Why? Because he knew he could count on that word. He knew he could count on that word. And Peter knew, Peter above everybody knew because he was brave enough to even contest Jesus when Jesus told him to do something. He was smart. He always had smart Alec. He always had something to say back to Jesus. And so Jesus tells him, you guys didn't catch anything today, huh? You didn't catch anything? Y'all were such good fishermen, you didn't catch nothing? Didn't catch nothing? Why don't you launch back out there and cast your nets? Another occasion, he told him to cast them to the other side. And, they look, and, and Peter tells him what you would think a fisherman would tell. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You're a rabbi. I'm a fisherman. Let me do the fishing. You do the rabbin. But Peter knows he can count on his word. So he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. It don't make sense. Nevertheless. At your word. I didn't catch nothing and you're telling me to do the same thing. Nevertheless, at your word. Some of you have been doing the same thing over and over again. You know God told you to do it. You know you're called to do it. And you're not seeing the return that you expected. I'm telling you, do it one more time. Because nevertheless, at his word, it's something you can count on. And so here they are. Here they are. In transition things might be changing they don't know what the future holds Jesus is gone but they had a word hold on to his word hold on to his word hold on to his word I'm gonna say it till somebody has faith hold on to his word 
Hold on to it. His promises are yes and amen. If he spoke it to you, it shall come to pass. Just because it hasn't yet doesn't mean it's not gonna. But I want to encourage you in one more thing. More than holding on to it, obey it. Obey his word. There are a lot of people holding on to his word, but they're not obeying his word, and they're wondering why they're not getting results. The thing about these disciples is they knew they could count on that word, and they knew if they just obeyed that he would come through. To receive a word, you got to be in the right place to hear it. They were in one place, in one accord. They were in one place, in one accord. I want to encourage everybody in here. Be careful with the notion that everywhere is holy. Be careful with the notion that wherever you are is sacred. Careful with that. Be careful with that. Yeah, God is omnipresent. Yes. Yes, he abides in those who believe. Yes. Yes, his spirit is upon those who have been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And yes, his presence goes with you. He is with you everywhere you go. He is with you right now. He'll be with you in a little bit. He'll be with you tomorrow. Doesn't matter where you go. Though I made my bed in hell, you are right there with me. Yes, he is with you. Yes, he is with you. That doesn't make it a holy place. That doesn't make it a sacred place. That's why he called, he made his own house. That's why David spent so much time trying to raise the money so his son could build the house. God wouldn't let David build the house because David was a man of blood. Do you think God was not pleased with David? He didn't let David build a holy place because David was a man of blood. But David is the only one that he called a man after his own heart. Be careful not to call every place holy. Be careful not to call wherever you are sacred. It's a scary thought if you start to do that. Why, Pastor Josh, is this such a big deal? Because God has a place. God has chosen a place. And in America, in America, we have lost the, 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 the respect, the honor, and the gratitude that it, that it deserves. It is called the church, and it deserves honor. I can't get no claps or amens because I know that that's the way the culture taught you, that wherever you are, that's a holy place, that God can go with you. You can meet with God in your house. You can watch him online, but the house of God isn't as important as it's always been purported to be. But yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's God's house. This is God's house. He lives here. There are things that happen in this house that can't happen anywhere else. There's a faith level that happens when God's people get together that doesn't happen in your house. There's, some, there's miracles that happen right here on this gray striped carpet, right here in this altar. Why? Because it's here. God's word is in this house. It is preached from this house. It is declared from this house. Is it just this house that's holy? No, it is all of his houses that are holy. Because this is where we get to hear his voice. Well, I can hear his voice on my own. 
That is true. You really can. And I hope you come to Bible class and really learn how to dig into his word and hear his voice for yourself. But the truth of the matter is statistics will tell you that people that go to church, not people that call themselves Christians because that number is much higher. People that go to church, it will tell you that, that, that 30%, only 30% of people read their Bible occasionally, which means, which means once a week or once every three weeks. That's what statistics will tell you. So I want to know, if we're going to argue that the house of God isn't that important, you tell me if it's important. If people are going to hear the word of God, this may be the only place they get to. So they weren't just obedient. They weren't just obedient. They were in the right place to hear his word. They, they were in the right place to hear his word. If everywhere is holy, then nothing is holy. If everywhere is sacred, then nothing is is sacred. If everything is where God lives, then nowhere is where God lives. Because familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Pastor Rick says it like this, in our nation, the thing we lack the most is honor, respect, and gratitude. We are in a great deficit in those three areas. If people would learn to be grateful for God's house, they would see transformation in their life. Forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of Sunday is, but exhorting one another. See, the people think that the gathering together is all about the, the, the praise and worship and the preaching. It couldn't be farther from the truth. This is where we see our church family. This is where we see the body of Christ. This is where we come together and go hang out at church cookouts because we know these people love the Lord. These people are going after him and creating the atmosphere that I get to feel him in. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. I need to know them. I need to walk with them. I need to exhort them and encourage them because they matter. But as you see the day approaching, more and more will forsake. They were in one accord, one mind, one passion. Don't, unity doesn't happen through protest. Unity doesn't happen through political party. Unity doesn't happen because some political leader tells us to come together. Hollywood ain't going to do it. Unity only happens in here. So I want to encourage you, leave your agenda at the door. Leave your opinions at the door. Leave your political party at the door. When you walk in this building, come with one heart of expectation and anticipation that anything can happen today. Can I get an amen in the house? Something happens when the people of God get together. God knew he had the right people in the right place. He knew he had the right people in the right place. He didn't have the Pharisees and the Sadducees gathered. He had these misfits that followed him around. They were the ones that followed him. They were the ones he chose. He didn't choose the religious, the ones everybody else thought he would choose. He chose fishermen. He chose, he chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose sinners. He chose crazy people. But you don't know what I've done, Pastor Josh. You don't know what I've committed. You don't know where I've, what I've been through. You don't know who I am. You don't know who I was yesterday. You don't know. You don't know who I am. I'm not going to try that hard because I promise you God wouldn't use me. 
Not like that. For some in here, you don't think God's going to use you because you think that what God called you to be is just a professional and that your form of ministry is to give an offering so that the church house can be blessed. And the truth is, there is a place for that. However, that might be your mask or excuse from realizing that God chose you to do a thing and he gave you the skill set to make reformation and change in a different space. You don't know who I am. God will use anybody to accomplish his purpose. God will use anybody to accomplish his will. He used liars. He used murderers. He used womenizers. He used hookers. He used killers. He used people that everybody threw out. He still used them. God, does, God doesn't care what, you, what, what mess you made. You think God's so, so uh, oblivious or so weak that he can't use you because you slipped up? Who's to say God didn't set up the trap for you to slip up so you would go through all that mess, have all that hurt, come through all that healing so that you could bless somebody else? God uses anybody. God uses anybody. Stop discounting yourself. More than discounting yourself, I want to encourage you. Stop making excuses for not doing God's will in your life and start stepping into who God called you to be. God will use anybody to accomplish his purpose. He may even snatch you up when you're not looking. You may not even be looking for him. He just snatch you up. He uses your story. He uses your life. He uses it all to bring it together. God doesn't use you because you're perfect. He uses you because you're obedient. Be witnesses for me. So he pours out his spirit. These guys are all in one place. And he has a plan. He has a plan for these people. He wants them to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You know what was so amazing about this moment? I shared with you that the celebration of Pentecost is the celebration of the harvest, right? It's a feast of weeks. And all these people were coming to Jerusalem. Jesus made sure they weren't leaving Jerusalem. So we know, he, we've heard it preached before. He wanted to make sure everybody was there to see this one, right? He wanted to make sure everybody was around to see what happened this time. And when he was walking around, it's interesting that he would tell people not to tell folks. But this time, he wanted everybody to see it. He wanted everybody to see it. So they're having this Feast of Weeks, and they're all coming together, right? They're all gathering together, and they're letting it go. They're bringing an offering to the Lord. They're laying down their first fruits, right? So he knows all these people are there. And he chooses that moment to release his Holy Spirit. We've heard the preaching on one place, one accord. We've heard all that. The power of this moment was that he got everybody together so that it would be the perfect moment for something to happen. See, at the first Pentecost, when Moses went to the upper room, I mean, when he went on top of Mount Sinai to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I mean, see the backside of the Lord and was given 
the promise of God, I mean the law. The people of God were so selfish and so used to bondage. They needed somebody to tell them what to do. They needed somebody to tell them what to do because it was a generational curse they had inherited from being in Egypt for all those years. There are people in this room that have been living under a generational curse for years. And when there's a moment that you have to wait, because of the waiting, you revert back. You revert back. And so because of selfishness, they make idols and they begin to worship somebody else. When it comes down to share with them the promise, they weren't ready to receive it. So the delay happened. You see the picture of the type and shadow there? But in this moment, God chose it because he knew he had the right folks. He knew he had the right folks. These folks already didn't have anything. They already didn't look for nothing. All they knew is they just had to be obedient to his word. That's all they had. And the rest of the people in town didn't have anything either because they came selflessly to give unto the Lord of themselves. What I just told you is everybody was letting go of something and they had room to receive something. The people of God have been inoculated from the power of God through the vaccine of selfish gain. The people of God have been inoculated from the power of God through the vaccine of selfish gain. They have a form of godliness, but they deny his power. See, you know how to feel the Holy Ghost and do like that. You know how to fake it. Oh, I feel God in this place. You know how to put on your dance when the, when, the, when the drums get to going. You know how to lift your hands. You know how to get dressed good enough to come to church. You know how to say your amens and throw your hankies. And you put on a form, but you don't express the power of the living God. They came and they let go. And they let go. And because they let go, they received. And they received his power. You know what the the characteristics of the early church were the top three characteristics that it wasn't it wasn't signs and wonders it wasn't speaking in tongues the power of the holy ghost the characteristics that were on them that showed that they had something everybody else didn't have was number 1 love They had the love of Jesus Christ. It was a love that can't be touched. And they showed it every single time. Second thing, they were generous. Generosity oozed out of these people. They sold everything just to live together and make sure that they could spread the gospel. As I told the looking for leaders, they didn't have a church house like this. They didn't have staff. They didn't have those things. All they had was these men of God that could preach Jesus, and we need to preach them too, so we need to get this thing out there. So they got together, and and they did it, and they were generous. 
They were generous because they had generosity not just of money. They had generosity of God's spirit. They were not so selfish as to hold it. And number three, unity. They were all headed in the right direction. When the Holy Ghost really gets on you, you really won't come in here trying to speak your opinion. You really won't come in here spectating. You really won't come in here to be a commentator. You really won't do that. You'll come in here and leave here in power. So that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whether you're at your workplace, you're at a schoolhouse, you're in the government building, you're at the grocery store, you can exude the power of the Holy Ghost and make something happen in somebody else's life. Church has been relegated to a business. It's been relegated to some corporate thing. And we come in here and we do our songs and we we speak our motivational speeches, but we don't experience the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, Gino, but the power that I've felt in my life has rid me of addictions. I was addicted to things and God broke the addiction in a moment. I don't know about you, but my body was sick and the power of the Holy Ghost came on me and I was freed and healed of that sickness. I don't know about you, but I've seen people, when I laid my hands on their head, receive the power of the Holy Ghost and be baptized in it because I had the power of the Holy Ghost. I look at this sanctuary, I see people, I know you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and I wonder why do you come in here at all if you ain't going to give him praise, if you ain't going to lead the way. When we have these services, we have these expectations. Oh, the pastor's going to come in here. He's going to preach rowdy and crazy. And then we're going to see new people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we sit back in our chairs and we watch. It's not how that works. They all did it. They all did it. They all came in expecting. They all came in waiting. The reason why the disciples were in that room in one place, in one accord, because they were all standing on the same word. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. I don't know when. 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 All I know is he said it wouldn't be many days from now. I don't know when. I don't know when. I don't know when. Maybe some of them had a, had a feeling. Pentecost is coming. Pentecost is coming. He was the Passover lamb. I've heard him teach that. Pentecost is coming. Maybe they were building up a faith and saw the revelation in it that he never said that Pentecost would be the day. Maybe some of them figured it out because the Spirit gave it to them that this would be the day. And that day, they made sure they were early for 3 o'clock prayer. They weren't late for 3 o'clock prayer on Pentecost. They got there early. They got their praise up. They got their prayers up. They got their expectation up. And they knew something's going to happen in this house. And when it did, 3,000 were added to the church that day. This was no ordinary day. I am ready for the people of God to treat going to church like it's a big deal again. I'm ready for the people of God to treat worshiping God like it's a big deal again. Stop going to the concert show and start coming in here and lifting your hands and shouting and praising and giving him what you got. He deserves your praise. He deserves it. Oh, I can't get no help in the building. I need somebody to give God some praise in this place. 
we do that? Why do we give him praise? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when you praise him, even when you don't feel like praising him, and you start, and you see down the road, somebody else gonna start praising him. I'm gonna praise him with them. They ain't gonna out praise me. They don't know what I've been through. So I'm gonna, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. When you lift up praise to God, it brings his presence down. When his presence comes in the room, that's when we get to experience Pentecost. That's when the power shows up, baby. This is no ordinary day. We want to praise him for our blessing. We want to praise him till his blessing comes down. We want to give because it shall be given. And we don't let it go because freely we have received freely give. give to get I got now I give when I look back over my life I know he saved me he sanctified me he pulled me out of a bunch of mess I should be in jail but I'm right here preaching his word I should be dead but I'm alive and kicking I should have no kids no marriage no life no ministry but I'm here today because he freely gave it to me and I'm going to give him praise for it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to give God some praise in this house. If you got the Holy Ghost, begin to spray in the Holy Ghost right now. I ain't scared of it. I ain't trying. I ain't worried about getting canceled. I ain't worried about none of that stuff. I want to see lives change. I'm just trying to see if anybody wants to see something happen. I'm just waiting to see if anybody wants to see the Holy Ghost go to work. I'm just waiting to see if anybody's willing to press him. I'm just waiting to see if anybody wants to see somebody get baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm just waiting to see. I'm just waiting to see. Hey, Namasha. Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is, is hovering in here. He's waiting. He's hovering. He's waiting. 
beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the world. The earth was out form and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. The Spirit was waiting on a word because the Spirit responds to the word. And when the Spirit moves, the Spirit touches the earth and the earth changes. So if there's anybody in here that's in darkness and emptiness and void and chaos, God's about to move in your life because God said it. It's the same spirit. God, God sent his spirit to hover when he created earth and he kicked off creation and he sent his spirit when he launched the church. He said, my spirit will be a power to this because it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, I dare you to get down to this altar. If you need God to bring clarity to your life, I dare you to get down to this altar. I'm not, come on somebody. Come on somebody, don't be scared. Come on saints, come on saints. Come on saints. Shedobo Sandro Kesi. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of it. Don't think it's weird. It ain't weird. There ain't nothing weird about it. You don't know because you haven't felt the power of his Holy Spirit. You don't know because you ain't been there. Jesus said the Spirit makes utterance for us. Things that cannot be spoken. God is a Spirit. God is a Spirit. God is a Spirit. And He's seeking those that will worship Him in Spirit and in truth. In Spirit and in truth. You can't make logical sense of spiritual things. 